Uh, so what is the what is the order of attack on this Sari? Like, there's there's a lot of combinations. Uh, there's there's six. Yes, there are exactly six. I was running that math in my head. Unless we want to do the Gokaiju's episodes in reverse order or split them up for some reason. We should do that. Alright, so first we're doing Gokaiju 44, <laughs> then, then Gaim, then Gokaiju 43, then Gokaiju... <laughs> no, no, then Gaim again. <laughs> then we're just doing Kamen Rider Zero Run, we're covering the first episode three times in a row. And then what get, are we doing, Gary? We, we really never... We need to never do this again. Welcome to Brokusatsu. Two Brothers Exploration of Tokusatsu Shows and Associated Media. I'm Harry. And I'm Sam. And I want to apologize for all our previous uh, uh, listeners who have stuck through us thick and thin. Uh, we've, you know, we're going to be entering a new show this time. a And not just a new show for us, but a new show in general. Like, we're we're actually current-ass bitches with this. And, and look... We're getting new listeners, hopefully, but we don't love them any more than you. This is not going to change anything between us. Unless we get enough to get a Patreon, in which case, you know, it may change things. I don't know. Well, uh, what I'm saying is, it is clear that we're going to be putting a little bit more effort into this <laughs> into this podcast now that we're actually covering something new that people might be interested in. We're still going to be disorganized weirdos about this, and, you know, it's... I mean, I should say, we're going to try. We're going to try a bit more. Are we going to succeed? Probably not. I mean, it it's still us. You know, you've been listening to us for 50 episodes now for some reason, so you d- you know what we're bringing to the table. But here's something very new. You know, we've covered lots of shows with lots of themes, and there are some, like Black Lightning, where I was like, yeah, I'm a, you know, middle-class white guy. I can't speak too much as to the black experience and stuff, so there's going to be some themes in these shows that uh, I can't touch. But Kamen Rider Zero One, episode one has just dropped. And watching it, Boy, is it playing right down my alley. Holy crap, Harry. Like, you mean Detroit become Common Rider? You mean Common Blade Rider? I'm gonna love this or I'm gonna hate it, because it is 100% my shit. And, and the beautiful thing is, we don't know yet. Like, Harry, this show is gonna go places, and it's going to do things, it's going to have themes, it's going to have opinions, and we might hate those we might hate everything this show does we might be so diametrically opposed to what the show proposes is like the right and moral justification of the universe that we will just become vitriolic vile creatures against it i can't think about common rider drive without getting genuinely angry about what they did to the roid mutes in that show yeah and (laughs) Let's let's kind of just talk about some generalities of uh, Zero One. So this clearly, it's, you know, a computer slash AI-based common Rider. I mean, we start the episode with a showcase, like an advertising thing. Next generation AI technology opening the door to tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And we get a elderly CEO introducing a new AI-controlled robot, a Huma Gear. Yes, that don't look at all like Terminators. No, yeah, it's it's friendly. It's got a molded plastic face. 
Again, not at all like Terminators. Well, it turns out that the molded plastic face is hiding something, you know, more terrifying. <laughs> but right now, he's just walking up saying hello, and the robot can turn and say hello, President Hiden Koronosuke. Yes, it's a cute, very corporate uh, advertisement highlighting, like, the advancements in AI and uh, technology, which allows humanity the uh, benefit of having intelligent machines doing work for them. Then we immediately jump cut to a new show where he's dead. There's lots of things that they're doing. First of all, there's a factory uh, thing of them being kind of 3D printed, and there are flesh lasers that are putting human appearances onto them. And then we see them just working as... uh, Doctors, hairdressers, chef, uh, chefs, child care workers, and police officers. All of those jobs being done by corporate-owned robots. Hmm. Corporate-owned robots, which may or may not be sentient and may or may not have free will? We we don't have enough information at, on that at this point. But uh, what we do know is it's the future, because this uh, news report about his death is being projected from a hologram blimp. That's how you know it's the goddamn future, Sam. Harry... Honest question, do you think blimp technology is going to make a comeback at some point? Like, I know we we get all kinds of, like, floating ships and dirigibles and, like, all these visions of the future, but I kind of feel like science fiction writers are really trying to make blimps happen, and I'm not sure they're going to happen. It's not totally impossible. There's actually economic factors that means that blimps could become good at delivering certain types of cargo over certain areas, and they could be worked into drones and things like that. Yeah, I suppose. Goddamn drones. It's going to change the world, Harry. Uh, But some things don't change because we then pan down to see our super young protagonist uh, freaking out because he's a disorganized guy. He's like, damn it, I'm so late. I said five alarms. I'm late for my my appointment at Chuckles Dreamland. (laughs) Yes, so it turns out that our protagonist of the series is like a 19-year-old failed stand-up comic. He's 22 years old in fiction, but he's 18 years old in the reality. He was born in, like, March of 2001. Oh my god, Toku. That's like... God, he he was born in 2001? Yeah. Jesus. That's like reverse Dawson's casting right there. Uh, and he's showing up for his job at the play, at the uh, carnival, where it turns out even cardies are being staffed as uh, human gears. Like, if if you can get a cardie replaced... That that's really something because Cardi's run at like five dollars and a hit of cocaine every week. They also are an oddly important position. Like you know, Cardi's Cardi's keep you safe at carnivals. <laughs> Cardi's man the rides like they have to be very situationally aware, or people like fall into the gears. So that's kind of a. I know we were talking about police officers and doctors, but you know, these human droids they are in very critically important positions in society. By the way, they have the kind of, like, earmuff, uh, mechanoid things. It, you know, it, it's like Detroit Become Human. They have, like, the blue glowing circles on the sides of their head to indicate, hey, I'm an android. Yeah. A very easy costume, and also very easy to, you know, have some people in the universe be, like, hidden androids. Part of our speculation after this is, Harry, who's the hidden android? Uh. Everyone? I mean, probably Aruto, I'm gonna say. But we'll, we'll get there. Right now, he's still doing his his comedy routine that the poor fan translators had to kind of adapt. Do you think it was actually funnier in Japanese, or did they did they manage like the awkward pacing and awkward phrasing correctly? Uh, I think they're doing a pretty good job because it's just a simple joke. He pulls out his phone. It's like, "What's the comedy forecast?" And it says, "Expect chilly audiences all day." 
and he he kind of does a very chilly expression. So it was probably a similar kind of wordplay. Uh, and the reaction when it goes out to the audience is everyone has left, except for like an old couple feeding each other, not paying attention. Smash cut to him getting fired. Yes, he is being fired by his boss. And I'm not sure if they're trying to portray the boss as like, you know, a bad boss right now. We get a little bit of sympathy for him later in the episode, but I gotta say, kind of a good idea to fire this guy, looking out at the audience. Yeah, like, he's he's nice about it, but he just doesn't care. He says, like, yeah, you're you're fired. Uh, I, I could get human gears to do this job better. Speaking of which, a human droid, or human drone? What, what the hell are they called, Harry? Human gears? I said it five seconds ago. Well, yes, of course you said it five seconds ago, but Harry, it's gonna be like three months before I remember a single name from the show. You know me. Clearly, you're going to need to remember Taro the Abbuster for a long time, because he's this big, beefy guy that is also a human gear, and he comes out and says, like, hey, ab-busting power, and and fires off portions of his skin to reveal his robot abs, and everyone finds this hilarious. It's horrifying, but kind of funny. Kind of. Like, Japanese humor is going to be a thing we're stumbling against a lot of this. Well, uh, they might not be spending much time at the stand-up place after this episode. Then again, the main character is a stand-up comedian, so maybe they're going to be spending a lot of time here. We don't know. The park manager is just saying, it was always my dream to have a big park full of happy faces like this. And Aruto is like, oh, no, I, I can totally relate. That's my dream as well. And the manager walks away saying, well, other people are better than that. People are already laughing, so find a new dream. <laughs> it's really harsh, like... I'm firing you to replace you with a robot. Go find a new dream. This is the exact same speech that the entire Midwest of the United States has been having for the past couple decades. Then we cut to a like high-class car driving in. It's probably not actually that high-class, considering a Tokyo show is renting it out. It, it looks nice. And a CEO gets out of it. Or a, a vice president, at least. Along with his uh, robot assistant, uh, who is completely covered in red leather... And is either some kind of sex bot or an assassin bot that remains to be seen. Yeah, that's what's Uh And, you know, he's walking into the building with a bunch of people just lined up bowing and that way Japanese corporations do. He says, like, ah, oh, yes, this is the last day I'll be the vice president. He turns to look at the painting of the former owner and says, all right, replace it. All right, this is kind of extra, but I love this move. Another slightly larger painting of this new guy gets lowered over it. It's not slightly larger, Harry. It's at least like 400% the size of the previous painting. This guy has a vision for the company, and he really wants to see his own face as he walks in every day. Live your dream, man. I, until he turns out to be a big jerk, I'm kind of on this guy's side. Uh, uh hmm. You know, Harry, I'm gonna throw it out there. I'm going to put this dart on the speculation wall. I think this guy is going to be sympathetic. I think the previous president is going to be a monster. There's there's lots of monsters here. Then next we see a a like kind of big a big crater that's partially flooded with some buildings sticking out of it and like a force field surrounding it. And this is Daybreak Town. Yeah, it's some former city that has clearly gone through some kind of uh, cataclysm. Uh, we do not know what it's going to be yet, but as we cut to inside one of the destroyed buildings, we run into uh, several people, which are clearly androids, and they are speculating about the end of the world. So you think they're androids? Interesting. Yes, I believe that these are androids. Like, they mention the singularity about androids gaining sentience and becoming faster than humans. We also see these guys operating later, like, and, you know, moving, grooving, doing it, and they're definitely moving at superhuman uh, capabilities. See, that's interesting, because I didn't see them that way. 
Uh, I mean, they're they're talking in ways that could go either way because they're saying, yeah, uh, we're using the singularity that created human gears. It's when artificial intelligence becomes self-aware and suppresses mankind. The time has come for humanity to perish just like this town did. And it kind of zooms out and we see what looks like a big kind of weird satellite-y structure uh, underground or, or underwater. And it looks a little bit, this is speculation that I've seen mirrored some places, it looks a little bit like a big satellite that we saw at the start that's kind of beaming instructions to lots of different robots, uh, satellite uh, ZOA. So this may be like a previous satellite that crashed, and so they're using uh, old tech. I mean, that's uh, my, my read on this was that these were androids that became self-aware and like they took over a town and the town had to be destroyed to stop them. Speaking of Satellite Zia, it sends out a command to some sections of the corporate headquarters, and a big 3D printing machine starts firing. And a, like, a different human gear lady, with a very carefully thought out costume, so she's gotta be important, wakes up. Yeah, she is either the plucky sidekick or the love interest. Yeah, or both, you know, it could be both. She probably won't be a common writer, though, because these shows are terrible about female representation. Yeah, speaking of which, there is exactly one human female presented in this entire episode. All the rest are robot servants. So just stew on that for a little bit. Right, so Aruto is walking out of his former workplace, sad that, uh, you know, his killer joke didn't work. And a car drives up that I checked has no driver. (laughs) And the robot lady walks out and says, oh, recognized? You are the 22 years old Hiden Aruto, the killer comedian with minimal success. And he, he's sad to hear himself described this way, but can't really argue. She takes him to the corporate headquarters where we learn this is the grandson of the dead CEO, and he was named unexpectedly in the will. Many people at the uh, at the company were quite unaware that the CEO had a grandson. Yeah, they, they didn't know he had a family. Strange. Yes, further leading to speculation that this might be an android. Briefly, we see a bit of a scene at the Chuckles Dreamland where the muscle robot is smiling, thinking of the crowd that he managed to, you know, entertain earlier. When one of the weird hacker guys from earlier walks up saying, hey, I found you. So here's a spiked belt that I'm attaching you and sticking into your skin. And now that we're friends, you're going to destroy this place for me. (laughs) He immediately begins hacking the brain. And there are several websites that flash across the screen. uh, One of which, Harry, I believe you have turned into an advertisement for our podcast. Yeah, uh, the robot resists saying, like, you know, my job's to make people happy, but he says, no, your job is to make people extinct. And so he connects to extinction-thunderstrike.net, which I looked up and nobody owned, and now someone does own, does own it, it's us. <laughs> like, there was, there was more text flashing on the screen, which might be, like, the Japanese version of the website. Uh, me and Sarah, uh, my wife, we were trying to Google furiously exactly what the word was, it was a little unclear. It's, yeah, it's metsubojinrai.net, which I looked up and doesn't have, like, a website. Or it does, but it's just, like, a a website designer. It's Dennis Bougies. You know, that might be part of some, like, ARG uh, for this Kamen Rider series, Harry. We should keep an eye on it. Kamen Rider Dennis. <laughs> so do you think they're going to have, like, a different name for the website every time? Or are we going to unintentionally get a lot of advertisements? Hopefully they don't change it every time or else I'm going to not keep up this bit. I don't even know what to do with it. Right now, I just have it like a cheap GeoCities website with some animated GIFs and just pictures of the hacker dudes. No, that's absolutely perfect, Harry. I mean, I'll evolve it as we find out more more things to put in there. So long as they keep using the same website. If they use different ones, might have been a one-time thing. 
yeah, if they use different ones, then maybe I'm just gonna do some test websites on on there. But anyway, we go back to the full reading of the will. In the near future, our company will be faced with a grave threat. A great number of human gear supplied by our company will be swayed by amoral individuals becoming a threat to humanity. And there's like a CGI showing of this. This is like a publicly, I'm not sure if this is a publicly traded company, but this is like, imagine, all right, imagine if just Jeff Bezos died and like they went to the will and said, okay, you know our warehouse robots, someone's going to hack into those and make them start drinking baby blood. So there's only one countermeasure, the zero one driver and its progress keys. These are the tools that allow human gears to remain under human control, equipped with a next generation security system. Only the company president is authorized to use it. And the, the CEO guy, when hearing this, he's so happy because he thinks that's going to be him until he reads the next line. Yes, the absolute next line is that, you know, the main character is now going to be the CEO of the company and also the common writer. My grandson is the company president. It's my final wish that the company stands unified when faced with this crisis. That is all. And he, he throws it down saying, like, this is this sucks. Uh, is this a company or a family business? Yeah, let's let's go back a little bit, Harry. I think the whole Jeff Bezos thing is a perfect analogy because that would be wonderfully awful news for all the shareholders of the company. Like Jeff Bezos is dead. His will is being read. The man who everyone thought everyone was expecting to be the new CEO of Amazon is there. And then some random baby face 20 year old walks in. He's like the unknown love child of Jeff Bezos. Plus, our Amazon lockers are going to start eating families. Yes, it is announced, like, after Jeff Bezos is dead, that Amazon Prime is going to break bad and start murdering people. And the only person who can stop it is this unknown 20-year-old. Good luck, humanity. Yeah, it's going to, by the way. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everyone who owns an Alexa, get a gun. And put it with an arm's reach of the Alexa. This is going to happen. It's going to go down. So everyone's pissed. There's a big rabble rabble going on in the room. But then Arto shouts, like, everyone calm down. I'm obviously not going to be your president. <laughs> like, this is nuts. I have a dream to make people laugh. And he just turns and walks out of the room. Yeah, uh, he is apparently not aware that walking out of a boardroom does not negate the legality of a will. Like, if he if he wanted to actually fight this, he probably should have stuck around. But now he's just he's just walking out, and the robot lady looks at him a little confused. So we cut to the way he got his dream, but we see Aruto interacting with his quotation mark dad quotation mark, who is clearly an android, has the whole blue like earmuffs on. He's he's fine. He's a normal human. He's just wearing what's an earlier version of the human gear earmuffs. He's saying like, "Oh, you're so funny, Aruto," but uh, Aruto's like, "No, you're you're just reacting the same way every time," and he says, "Well, my reaction will be the same." every time but don't worry about that but you know i love you and then he explodes because there's some kind of attack and he's just he's showing gears and bleeding oil like like a normal dad does sam mm-hmm, mm-hmm. absolutely normal absolutely normal aruto find your dream and leap towards it hint leap you're gonna be grasshopper themed do we think do we think arturo is a robot who was raised by a robot do we think he was a clone of the grandfather who was raised by this robot dad that was created. Like, is the whole Huber, like, is the reason he's awful at jokes because he was raised by robots who would laugh at him no matter what he said? Maybe, I don't know. That's awful. That's like, that's some awful subtext. He was, he was, he's a wire monkey baby. He was raised by machines who don't react like humans, and so he's broken. I mean, 
I, but the dad, he was at least nice. Like, I mean, we're speculating, but there's just so much we don't know. This is just episode one. Uh, and we're about to introduce more of the threat. Mm-hmm. Back at Chuckles Dreamland. There, there's another comedy actor going on. Ab Buster Taro stomps out on stage, throwing some other human gears on the floor, saying, it's it's time to make people extinct. Mm-hmm. And act- activates his belt thing. Rips off his skin. Yep. Yep. Got some body horror going on. First of all, he could clearly feel pain this whole time. <laughs> uh, so his skin burns off and then spikes shoot out of his mouth and kind of bur- burrow into his body. And he turns into a grasshopper man. And then he converts the other human gears next to him. And uh, they you briefly see, her, see their kind of plastic face until it bursts off. And then you see their horrifying metal skull face. Because they are Terminators. They're absolutely Terminators. Also, this is absolutely going to be like the putties of this series. The, you know, disposable minions that we will see like dozens of every episode. And they just go after the crowd and start wrecking people. Yes, we don't see people dying because this is still a children's show, but this is absolutely a situation where a lot of people would be dying really fast. Yeah, I mean, SWAT shows up. A-I-M-S. They show up really fast, by the way. Yeah, good reaction time. And I'm not sure if that's, I don't know what the acronym for that is, but they seem very specifically designed to fight these robot dudes, which is a little worrisome. Yes, we are introduced with the SWAT team to what is, again, going to be a plucky sidekick or the love interest, the only talking human female in the entire episode. And uh, she's kind of calling out orders to a group of dudes with assault rifles, but then one just starts blasting in the middle of her talking. Yes, she is a superior who is disrespected by the people under her. That's not a great look, gender politics, common writer. Uh, Arto, he's just wandering amidst the destruction. And uh, he tries to talk down the robot, saying like, hey, you know, I'm trying to make people happy. And the robot says, no, humanity has no future worth dreaming about. And he starts giving like a textbook definition of dreams and stuff to talk down Arto. But he's like, Arto, f- Arto gets pissed. He just, he screams at Izu, who's been following him around. It's like saying, hey, I can deal with this thing if I have that driver, right? All right, I don't care, whatever, I'm the president, give it to give it to me. And so he puts on the Kamen Rider belt, and is shot by a space laser. He kind of astrally projects in a blue burst of data, and uh, Izu's there saying, hey, uh, you're in the neural network of Zoa, your mind is remotely connected to the satellite, and uh, your computational speed is on par with an artificial intelligence right now. You have five seconds until you die, so in that time, we're just going to download the information into your brain, and you're going to go through a tutorial. <laughs> Which, thankfully, mostly happens off-camera. Yes, and there's a nice shot, like, uh, I will say, just as a general uh, general note for this episode, I kind of love the first episode of every Common Rider series, because of the, they have a budget. Yeah, because they have a fucking budget. Like, and it was clear in this one, the CGI department just gotta go fucking wild. It summons a big yellow uh, digital grasshopper that bounces around, blocks some shots. And then combines with him into a outfit. Sam, thoughts about the outfit? I really dig the outfit. Like, the outfit, it's uh, kind of matte black, like, very dark black, uh, with uh, a very bright neon yellow plates on the front. Like, it's it's very, you know, Matrix-esque. It's very, you know, Technicolor, like, put on some black light style costume. But at the same time, it totally works, and it's a nice, iconic look. Yeah, <laughs> kind of funny. Like, it, it does say in very... Emotionless English, a jump to the sky turns to a rider kick. <laughs> and he is Common Rider Zero One, and he starts fighting, and the main thing his base form can do is jumping around. He's like uh 
he accidentally jumps up to the top of a what is it a roller coaster and then jumps down he when the monster is throwing materials and like cars at him he's jumping into them and through them as they're like bullet timing through the air mm-hmm. like they do a good job of portraying the speed as this is happening we're also cutting back and forth uh, with the uh, SWAT team which are likely to be important characters well, the the two who aren't wearing, like, a balaclavas are. Uh, yes, there's the female supervisor, and then there is her asshole male subordinate. The asshole male subordinate goes back to the van, breaks open a a Nerf gun from a, from a case. Like, they, they go from very realistic military equipment to something that's clearly designed to be a toy for children. And uh, it's apparently an anti-droid gun, because he... The weapons that they're using are having minimal effect, uh, but then he cracks open the case, pulls out the gun, and is one-shotting them left and right. And being a real dick about it, too. Like, you know, he's not he's not clear in his lines of sight. He's shooting, like, near people, just totally ignoring his supervisor. This guy really needs to get written up. He really wants to kill these things. He's As the robot is chanting exterminate humans, he's basically chanting exterminate the human gears. Do we think he's a human gear? I'm willing to bet he's like a SWAT guy who's seen... He probably, all right, so if there's a whole team designed to take these things down, and there's like a satellite that went down, clearly this has happened before to a certain extent. I'm guessing he was there like when it went bad, and now he's like, we gotta wipe these things out. If if there's even a 1% chance that, you know, these super gears are gonna turn bad, we just need to turn off all the robots. Or like Lost Family or something. Like he's, you know, he he's also a 20-year-old uh, guy, Harry. Like, the last time we saw that there was like a confirmed attack that was involved human gears, maybe, was when Arturo was a child. So this guy would also have been a child. So probably, probably the same tragedy killed all his family. So there's lots of fighting on both sides. And the hacker guy who showed up to mess with the robot is watching, laughing. He's having just a good old time. He's attacked by one of the putties, and he just trivially dispatches it. Again, because he's a robot. He doesn't even look at it. Like, when the thing comes in and takes a swing, he CQC grabs its arm, pulls it in front of him, pulls out a gun, puts it to its head, and shoots. All in one motion. Like, not even stopping laughing. Yes, he is a robot with inhuman reaction speed and sentience because of the singularity. This is my prediction, Sam. I don't think he's a robot. That, this, that's, not based on, that's not based strictly on information I have outside of this. Like, I've tried to, so far, keep little... Like, I know a little bit, like, I know some of the forms he's getting and stuff, and I know some some of the people involved in this, I know some of them are common writers, but I'm, uh, I mean, I'll keep that hidden for now. But anyway, the fight keeps going on, there's some more slow-mo jumping, uh, Arto says, there's only one thing that could stop you, and that's me. So he knocks him up in the air, and then does a very flashy uh, rider kick to destroy it. Yes, showing off that budget, burn all the CGI dollars now, we're not getting them back for another year. Very impressive, only slightly ruined, because when he comes down on the ground, he kind of rolls his ankle and tumbles into a building. Yes, as impressive as his fighting is, uh, they're also making it absolutely abundantly clear that he still needs practice. Yeah, He, he went through a tutorial, and maybe he got information downloaded into his brain because he's secretly a robot but doesn't know it. Like, that, it is. it would be weird if he could just do that with a human, right? I don't know, like, they're... Harry, they're pulling from, like, every future, like, sci-fi property ever. They're pulling from the Matrix. Like, that was a very Matrix thing, and in the Matrix, they did that to humans. Fair enough. I mean, there's lots of ways they could go. Like, human brains are just technology, Harry. Like, we are not but meat computers. <laughs> we're, we're machines, too. That's the moral of the series, Harry. Maybe. We, we don't know. The hacker guys back at the base, they say, Ugh, oh, the, the president didn't die without a backup plan. All right. 
but we we still got more of these things. Well, we're we're fine. Aruto back at the park. He sees the magic guy talking to kids, saying, "You know, hey, we're not going to close. Uh, you know, the the strange man in yellow saved us, so I'm going to keep this a place where you can smile." And he he winks at Aruto because he he saw. Yes, a big comedy wink. Uh, so at least for now, the secret identity of Common Rider is contained. Yeah. As the mystery CEO of the Human Gear Corporation, uh, who was announced as a common writer on a shareholder uh, public meeting, like the, Harry, there's there's going to be notes on the internet that this guy's a superhero. We'll see. Like I'm, I'm not sure how public that meeting was. Like it was, uh, I'm not sure if this is like a publicly traded corporation. Maybe it's privately owned. Like those, there they might just be parts of different. Like I think I don't want to get into this. Too much because the I looked at the preview for next episode just this once. I think that is kind of going to be drilling out down to the company and how it's dealing with this. So I don't want to. We'll, we'll be covering that soon. So let's let's table that for now. Okay. And he just realizes. Okay, yeah, I agreed to do it. And the robot lady says, "Yep." So you're definitely the CEO. Mm-hmm. And he gets a new phone. And he says, "Like, hey, uh, since I got a card for business, because I'm such a card." Just leans in, mugs to the camera, and the robot just doesn't react at all to him. Just kind of explains the joke. And he is annoyed that she is explaining the joke. And that's the first episode. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be going places. And we're going to love where it goes. Or we're going to absolutely hate everything it ever does. The first five minutes of Detroit Become Human was really good. That's all I'm saying. And the the first Roid Mude was very impressive. But I I feel like... Next episode would be a good time to get into that because next episode, the Gokaiger episodes we're covering are a bit light, and I would rather just get into the ones we are doing now because they're at least one of them is a bit more consequential. Yes, I mean, well, the first one is consequential this week. Um, it is kind I of. I said a... one of them is. Yeah, well, there's a 20 minute fight and then there's a Christmas episode. Yeah, yeah, but we also need to cover Gaim, so let, let's just move forward. All right. So, uh, pause for music. Senteko Kaiger, episode 43, to become the hero of legend. As we last left our pirate Sentai Go Kaiger, uh, Doc was the only one who was not dead, quote unquote, or arrested by the Zangiac Empire. Damaris is back up on the gigant horse and throws Marvelous down in front of the Emperor, saying, This is the captain of those loathful pirates. Uh, you know, let's let's kill him already. And the Emperor, he stands up, he paces around and he says, No. I want him dead, but I want it done publicly, in a way that his allies can show up and rescue him. So take him back down to Earth, and uh, put on the cameras, and, uh, you know, give a nice countdown, and then execute him. Nothing possibly could disrupt this plan. Doc is back in the Gokai Galleon, and he's, he's, he's depressed, justifiably, because as far as he knows, all his friends are dead. The Bird Navi is like trying to scan and stuff saying like Ugh, i can't find them you know i'm looking places hey you know doc don't mope your hero don't uh get gotta do something doc points out like no i'm not a hero i i made that magazine and this star-shaped mark is drawn on it was a prank dun 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 we all knew it was a prank 
even all the even all the other pirates knew it was a prank. They were just rolling with it because you know Doc needed a win. He flashes back to some to Marvelous, giving him the Gokai Changer for the first time, saying like, "Hey, uh, this is gear that'll help you find find your dreams. It'll also help when we fight the Zangyak, that you know universe spanning empire that we are definitely enemies of." He doesn't want to be a fighter, but we see him uh, jumping like after he's slapped around a little bit by Navi. He flashes back to his first fight, uh, where he's just being his roll around and like hide behind stuff self and then he grabs pistols from marvelous and does his double gun flailing shooting yep the the main thing marvelous keeps saying is that uh you know you don't gotta be everything you just gotta do what you can you know that we're we're all parts of this crew and we're all just you know doing the best we can so uh back on earth uh we see all the zengiak uh well we see damaris and basco and a whole lot of putties uh, show up and they are crucifying marvelous <laughs> Captain Marvelous died for our sins, Harry. He just shouting on all the televisions. This is the insolent worm that defied the Zangyak. He'll be executed shortly. You know, everyone realized there's no hope left and just bow to Zangyak. Yes, they are broadcasting this across the entire planet. There's no possible way that could go bad for them. There's no possible way this could be a PR hit. And also, another great decision is that Basco, the super loyal guy, is hanging around for some reason they don't fully understand. He's like, no, 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 uh... I've known Marvelous for a while, and I'm just going to stick around and see him off. He, he also breaks to Marvelous. By the way, off camera, I got the five man and Sun Vulcan powers. Just uh, closing that loop, you know, hey, these are the few series where you haven't had multiple, uh, where you haven't uh, gotten the ultimate powers yet. So I'm just going to get him off camera. That's all but two accounted for on show, and we account for one in the next episode. Yeah, the uh, execution is about to happen, and then Doc shows up. And he's untransformed, and he's pretending to be the space Hercules that he was pretending to be the previous episode. I will not allow evil to spread its grasp through the universe. And he's going to do what he can. And he has a nice big untransformed fight. It's always good to see these. Fight's untransformed. He transforms after a little bit because he is still Doc. And takes out all the putties, at which point Damaris gets annoyed. And he jumps down and he says, what the hell is the point of this? You're nothing. I could just one-shot you. And Basco off to the side was saying, like, I don't think he has a plan. He's just charging in. But then he turns and sees Navi kind of pecking out the chains. He goes, ah, yeah. And very specifically, doesn't stop them or notify Demers. I think, in fact, he walks away at this point. Marvelous is free. And Navi points out there's a seventh member of the Gokadras, not not just six. And Marvelous is super happy. He says, all right, Doc, you did great. You freed me. What's the plan now? And Doc says, I have no more plan. You know, this is as far as I got. You gotta help me here. And so Marvelous takes back over. They're going back to back, about to fight to the death against the Zangiac, when the rest of the team shows up. You guys are alive. And as Dimeris starts wondering, how could this be? Basco is stabbing him quite literally in the back. And just like with his giant fuck off sword all the way through Damaris, because Basco knew he was going to get exactly one shot to make this happen. And so he was going to make it count. I said I needed them alive to get the greatest treasure in the universe. That loody wimp got the drop on you because you got too full of yourself. Damaris pulses and drives Basco away, at which point Basco fucks off. And the rest of the, literally the rest of the episode is just a fight between Damaris and the Gokaijers. So they, they do some fun stuff. Like uh, they do an all green transformation, different green rangers, because it's a bit of a green focus. Marvelous and Doc do some good combo attacks with Marvel's kind of batting things away and Doc doing his two-gun shooting. Damaris impaled, weakened, getting blasted. He's finally losing ground. They have to shoot him with a big bazooka thing twice. 
Yeah, they, they unload just a fuck ton of finishers into this guy. It's nice to see. Like, you could almost see, like, the fighting game health bar just slowly draining on this guy as they go forward. Yeah, they're, they've gotten far enough in the series that the Gokaijus are developing some new tactics. Oh, uh, speaking of which, I don't think we mentioned this before. Like, all the lieutenants are now the Red Emperor lieutenants, and the Rangers are getting pretty good at taking them out. Yeah, they've leveled up. They killed Amorous. And then Insarn, like, up on the ship, says, like, uh, good good luck, Lord Damaris, and makes him big. And then they have a mech fight. Which is a nice, it's a nice meaty mech fight, at least this time. Like, they're going up against one of the big bads of the series, and the mech fight takes a good long time. They're using a lot of smart tactics, a lot of moves, and just piling, piling, piling finishers into him. And eventually he goes down, and we're down to Damaris. We're running out of named villains. They give Doc a little bit of shit back on the ship, uh, you know, say that they kind of all knew that he was making up the story about being a galactic hero. He already apologized. But yeah, that's the episode. Just one nice long fight to take out Damaris. Yep. And the the main thing Doc is happy about is that he got a big bounty. And even Navi got one, even though Navi's is like 50 yen. Which, uh, well, the bounty for Navi was about the same as Doc's previous one, right? Yeah, I think so. Oh, and Basco got his letter of mark revoked because he helped assassinate a major general. So he's a pirate now, too, again. And now we move on to the episode where Luca gets to learn the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, Gokaijo 44, holy lovely night. Not a lot happens in this episode. Like, we can... Really not a lot happen. Like, the only thing worth noting is it. it's the Christmas episode. There's trees, there's Luca being adorable with a couple kids... And then they bring back those creepy-ass Power Rangers costumes from the 70s where they have human faces. Yeah, like, so this is an episode with Luca, and I guess the character development for this one is that Luca is able to hang around children without having terrible PTSD. Like, she's still super protective, but she's she's able to just save them and be, be nice without freaking out and go, going and setting in a corner quietly. Uh, also, like, I know that Toku shows in general kind of have the whole uh, gay villain trope going on. But hot damn, they were really pulling it this episode. Oh yeah, this is a flamboyant gay villain for really no real purpose. He he has the power to turn people into dolls, and there's not even, like, it's not even thematically tied in. I mean, Christmas dolls, maybe? I don't know if that's a more Japanese thing than it is American thing. There's a girl helping her brother make a Christmas tree, and then, uh, like... Uh, the brother gets turned into a doll, and because she can make dolls, they do a thing where, like, she makes a fake Luca doll, and they, they do a double trick where, like, the villain sees through the plan, but then it turns out that the girl was standing elsewhere, and she becomes Gokai Yellow very briefly. So, yes, it's a nice Luca episode. We get to see some Luca tricky, uh, uh, tricking a bad guy. And we do also, and I guess this might be important, so the last remaining lieutenant of the Zangiac Empire, or, like, uh, action commander of the Zangiac Empire. He does throw down this episode, and he's kind of their strongest guy left, I guess? He can make his hammer really big and attack them with that. I, th- I think his name is Dirando or something? Like, as far as... Like, man, that's a power down from Damaris. Like, that's a serious step down in threat. I mean, Damaris was the strongest man in the universe. Like, he was the strongest solo fighter, kind of. But, you know, this guy's going to get his own episode, presumably, at some point. They're going to have to focus fire and take him out to leave the Emperor alone. So, I guess we got that to look forward to. There's really nothing to talk about in this episode. They do an all-yellow transformation. There's good fights, but, like, it's 
And at the end, the Santa Claus they met in costume earlier, he turns out to be, like, an actor from one of the previous series. The one with all the creepy nation, like, uh, Power Rangers. Yeah, it's the Battle Fever J. Uh, he was the green one. And, like, it's actually funny he was two, di- he was two different uh, Sentai members. Like, he was, he was literally two different, uh, on two different teams. Really? That, that's happened a couple times. Okay, okay. I mean, it happened with Tommy Oliver. Yeah, well, that was, like, the same person, though. Like, he, he was the same actor portraying uh, the same person. But, like, this guy is the same actor portraying entirely different people in entirely different teams. Fair enough. So, yeah, Gokaiger, like, one important uh, episode, if boring to talk about, and one episode that is both boring to talk about and not at all important. Yeah, I mean, it, fine to watch, because the fights are good, but we're... And it's it's a cute Christmas episode. It, it was cute. It was adorable. And it's fine. Watch it. Don't skip it. But moving on. Because we have one less show to cover, and we want to give it its proper time uh, before we send it away for a very brief break, and then coming back. Like, this isn't Nexus. Like, we are going to finish this because we're stopping just before it gets good. But there's a good stopping point at the end of Kamen Rider Gaim, episode 11, The Truth of the Christmas Game. This is kind of a Christmas episode. Yeah, Harry, Harry, what the fuck did our scheduling do? We had two Christmas episodes this week. We had an opening of an entirely new series, and then we had a climactic battle. Against, like, a mid-boss. I don't know, man. <laughs> you set the schedule. You are still the chaperone. I am just, like, the guy, like, behind the Sherpa pretending he knows what he's doing when he actually has no idea. I do my best, Sam. I do my best. Yeah, so in Gaim, uh, where we previously left our heroes, uh, they had just entered the uh, the Upside Down to go and collect lock seeds for the fake game. Well, pseudo-fake game. Uh, which was really more an excuse to draw out the White Knight. Well, it's it's even more fake than it should be, because Baron is quietly getting lock seeds, because that's the game, but Dark Lord is sneaking up on him, and he's just yelling, screw the rules, I'm just gonna bash you. Yeah, like, the game falls apart real damn fast <laughs> once they're inside the uh, the Upside Down. Baron is annoyed, and then Bravo shows up and says, like, hey, for, I also don't care about the rules, let's have a bit of fun, Monsieur Banana. Mm-hmm. And so now they're fighting. Yes, yeah, so there's a big old brawl, big and loud, going on. And then we see the main character poke his head up from behind a tree, and he's like, okay, perfect, this is exactly the distraction I wanted. We need to lure out the white armored rider. Cut to Takatora being yelled at over the radio by Ryoma, saying, we can't afford to lose any of the warring drivers, so if you take him out, take him out, like, you know, without serious damage. And he also brings in a lot of disposable troops with, like, assault rifles going in behind him. We then cut to Mai, who is on a completely different show, actually practicing dance moves and getting ready for a Christmas party. Saying like, hey, we gotta do a big pose at the end, be real flashy. And uh, the friends are saying, hey, do you think Koda and Michi are okay? Uh, Mai thinks they're fine, because they have not been involving her as much in this plot as they really should. I'm not just not involving her with the show, like, she's... She says that the important fight that they need to be worried about, that Team Guy needs to be worried about is the dance competition. And I think she is literally the only person who still cares about that. Uh, I mean, it's a fun thing to do. 
Harry, there's like, there's like four leaders of different dance troops that are currently armored riders fighting over lock seeds in an alternate dimension. She is the only one who still cares. Like, Dark Lord and Acord, I, I think they've forgotten their teams. <laughs> like, they're just hanging out with each other. They're supposed to be rivals, but they're just like bulk and sculling it together. And Baron, who only cares about strength but is still the leader of a dance team, is having some trouble with uh, Bravo. Like, uh, Bravo is yelling like, hey, Christmas is when a patissier is busiest. So <laughs> Baron yells, get back to work. And uh, Baron, or Bravo says, hey, I am working. I'm peeling my bananas right now. Uh, so Baron goes to Mango Arms and he's doing a lot better against Bravo than he did before. Yes, Bravo is quite impressed. Uh, Bravo's still winning, but, you know, it's a much more even fight than it was before. Uh, meanwhile, Acorn is sitting in the bushes, trying not to be noticed. At a certain point here, we got some mugging to the camera by the evil science guy. Uh, there's there's a whole lot of plate setting going on. Like, we're flashing between all the different teams. Like, the show is reminding us, okay, this character is here, this character is here, this character is here. I think the only person we don't flash to is the juice shop owner. Oh yeah, Bando, he's not on this. Everyone else is. Dark Lord comes up to Acorn. I've just fully adopted these names, I guess. Uh, like Kurokage and Ornak. I mean, as for the, if there's any new listeners that came here before listening to the other ones. You know, they probably stopped after the, the Zero One. Like, I'm just gonna work under the assumption that, you know, people are only here for the Zero One and then they stop the podcast. And I don't blame them. Like, I put in time codes. It's up to the listener to keep it linear. <laughs> But Dark Lord shows up and says, like, hey, you know, you're just hiding in the bushes. And, you know, Acorn says, uh, well, uh, okay, so I'm just waiting for them to weaken each other. Right now, you could go fight and get Ryugin. And Dark Lord loves that. He runs off. And Acorn says, all right, now that the idiots are occupied, I'm going to actually try to win the battle and, you know, get some block seeds. <laughs> he is the worst common rider. He's keeping his eye on the prize, at least. Dark Lord, during this time, like, he shouts at Acorn. I'm not going to wind up as some mook and just, oh, oh, Dark Lord, you, you beautiful, stupid boy. You're already there. So he's looking for Loxies, he's getting some, he's fighting some of the weakest invests and barely surviving. When Melon finds him. Yeah, the Melon Knight shows up, starts bashing him with his shield and knocks him out of the transformation, just like instantly. Yeah. He also does subordinates to just throw him out of the crack and leave him there. And the main character is very confused by this. Crack? What's What crack are they talking about? Yeah, so he's, he's learning some of their tech terminology. At this point, the main character starts pulling a hitman. Uh, he sneaks. He finds and sneaks into the enemy base, and he immediately puts on a disguise. And even though his face is showing, and everyone there should absolutely know what he looks like, no one seems to. They ask, like, hey, we don't know you. Are you new here? And he just, just says, yep, I'm new here. It's my first day. And that's basically it. Like... For all the secrecy this corporation has, like, they have, you know, they have created whole cover systems. They have the PR guy controlling the media. They have dudes with flamethrowers running around and blowing up plants when they're infesting certain areas. If you get behind their lines with a clipboard... They tell you the entire plot is what they do. Like, he throws off his hood. He says, hi, I'm new here. What's going on? And they tell him. Oh, uh, the overseer found more of the guinea pigs. You know, the the ones that we are testing our equipment on? You know, those those dance kids that we gave the rider belts to? Yeah, throw them a lock seed and they'll just go scrabbling for it. They, they never realize it's all just part of Yagdrasil's experiments. 
Yeah, the, the Infest game is totally a thing we made up just to get them to take work drivers without suspecting a thing. <laughs> so there you go, Sam. The reason for the Infest game and the belts is that it intentionally doesn't matter. Yagdrasil just saw a thing and we're like, we could make people dance fight over this. <laughs> well, I guess I'm glad that the show finally admits that it doesn't make sense and it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's, it's a corporation just co-opting a minor local uh, activity for their terrible deeds. They astroturfed, like, it's like if <laughs> if a corporation found, like, a Little League team and started just injecting them with, like, weapons-grade steroids to see what happened. <laughs> okay, 12-year-old T-ball team, like, go up and, oh, hey, yeah, you're growing wigs. Let's make a note. The Melon Knight at this point uh, finds Bravo and Baron dueling and punks them both hard. He takes down Baron nearly instantly, and Bravo takes one look at this man's fighting form and falls in love. Yes. You are a flower upon the battlefield. I must know your name. Yes, you're swan on tranquil waters. Please, please. And Takatora turns says shut up and smacks him. Uh, so, yeah, both guys down very quickly. They Granted. They were weakening each other, so a future fight might necessarily go a bit better for them. And then he is off hunting down the remaining riders, so he meets Ryugen. And Ryugen is Michi, who is really starting to worry that this is his brother. Yes, and so he starts shooting at him, at which point the Melodite is like, Are you trying to miss me? Like, uh, you, you've been stalking me, you're trying to observe me, what's your game here? Whatever, we can have a long top talk later. And he starts doing, like, Captain America shield tossing, bouncing them off Michi, and it comes back to him. It's an impressive move, uh, but for some reason, he doesn't take him down. Well, he gets distracted, because this, the moment before he does, he gets a call. Hey, uh, base camp is being attacked by, like, 50 infests. And so he tries to go back to base, but he is jumped from behind by Dark Lord. Who's saying, like, hey, you know, we're doing, I haven't seen you in these invest games before, but whatever, you're here, I'm gonna fight you. Yes, uh, Dark Lord, uh, as the Melonite is trying to escape, uh, the Melonite says that I don't have time to deal with you, to which Dark Lord replies, sorry, but I do. And then Dark Lord's belt is broken. Yeah, uh, Zangetsu, or, because that's what I'm starting to call him, he tries to let him off easy, but Dark Lord is just good enough to stop that from happening, so he gets furious and lands a full-on finisher and destroys his driver. Was it destroyed, or was it just heavily damaged? I was a little unclear at that point. Well, like, a slash goes through it, and kind of the the picture on the side that shows the DNA activation thing, that turns off. So it's definitely not up to full capacity. Mm -hmm. Might be repairable, though. It might be. Well, I mean, we all, we all knew that Dark Lord was going to meet a tragic end, so I got to assume that this is going to precipitate that. This is going to cause him to either repair it in an unsafe fashion or to seek out power in some other way and, like, become a monster. Like, Dark Lord, I, I think Dark Lord is going to have a very rough next couple of episodes. He's fine. He's fine. Everyone loves Kase. The character who was introduced in, like, episode three. But the main character who we know is going to be here for a while is Kota, and he storms out of the tent and starts fighting the Infest. Uh, some scientists beg him to help him, and he says, like, hey, I'm, you just called me guinea pig, and now you're having me save your life. You're just a big damn hypocrite. But he can't let them die, because he's he's a hero. He transforms. Uh, he starts fighting them off quite well. He finds another experimental watermelon, and he uses it to transform. 
and there's a really cool fight. He he's like flying around because the watermelon can kind of hover, and he like does a dashing fight through Yggdrasil Tower and Helheim, just kind of passing back and forth. Yes, the uh, the Yggdrasil Tower has an internal uh, defensive mechanism where when the invests fly through, they will immediately hit an electrical gate and be destroyed, which I also got to imagine has taken out a lot of their interns, but we don't want to think about that too much. But when it gets overwhelmed, Ryoma says, don't worry, we planned for this. Send them above the tower. We have holograms. Yeah, so they do. Yeah, and that's where the fight goes. It's a it's a wonderful CGI fight. Like, Harry, it's a CGI heavy week <laughs> this week. He's dashing around in the air. He's kind of turning into a wrecking ball and smashing them as they lie around. Uh, he starts getting cornered, and Ryoma quietly activates the laser cannons that are built into the tower. A little worrisome. It does seem like this guy had a lot of stuff planned out. This this is all according to his calculations. And uh, as the fight ends, uh, we see all the people in the Agdrasil Tower just cheering and saying, Oh, our white knight is great. Aren't we so glad that he's on our side? And cuts to him walking in through the side door and everyone saying like, wait, isn't that you? And Takatora is furious that this three trash saved his men instead of him. Uh, Michi, uh, before exiting the uh, alternate dimension, he stumbles upon the base camp and finds several suitcases absolutely loaded with lock seeds, uh, which he acquires for himself. And then they turn over to Sid to officially win the competition. DJ Sagra does show the results. And Sam, did you look at those? Uh, I didn't look at those. I was just kind of amused that the DJ was explicitly mentioning to the public that there's an alternate dimension full of monsters and that common Riders are now fighting in it for a dance competition. This dance competition is getting out of hand, Harry. Let me read you off the rankings for these uh, for, for these teams. So Team Raidwild, zero lock seeds. <laughs> team Bravo, zero lock seeds. Team Invito, three lock seeds. <laughs> team Baron, Eight lock seeds. Team Ryugan, 213 lock seeds. <laughs> Sam, do you, think that's, do you think that's a little suspicious? Uh, I think he didn't care. Yeah, they're a little past caring at this point, because... Like, ev- everyone knows what's... The only person who doesn't know everything that's going on is the Melon Knight. They slam the whole box in front of Sid, and Sid, he starts off being kind of cheerful, saying, like, oh, this is a lot of lock seeds, all right, this... This is a great deal. We should do something like this again. But Kota lets him know in no certain terms that the jig is up. We are not your guinea pigs. Yeah, we're not your rats in a maze. I hope you know that. And then they storm out, at which point Sid just kind of sighs, shakes his head, and says, Well, I guess it's time to close up shop. And then he pulls out a mysterious golden lock seed, which I'm sure will come up later. Actually, I'm not sure if that one does. Oop. I'll, I'll have to remember. Maybe it's something else. Like, does Sid turn into a monster at some point, Harry? Or is that just like... Is that just like a communicator? I It might be something. I'll, I'll have to see. Like, I forget that specific Loxy design, but maybe I'm just forgetting it. But no. Uh, Kota and Michi, they go to the Christmas party and they do the big dance. And that's it for the episode. But there's kind of a... Kota narrates some stuff saying like, yeah. Uh, that was when the gears were starting to turn. Like, we didn't know our fates were written in stone, we just wanted to follow our dreams. But you can't grow up when you want to, you grow up when you can't be a child anymore. In the endless war to come, we would discover that for ourselves. They probably should have known that their fates were etched in stone. I mean, future Ghost Mai did tell them that their fates were going to be etched in stone, in no uncertain terms. But yeah, that's like, they 
they're starting to figure out the stakes, and this is this is the end of an arc of Kamen Rider Gaim. And when we return in a little while, things are going to heat up fast. Uh, Sam, you we used to have speculation corners, and like, uh, yeah, let's bring that back. Okay. So. I have definitely told you most of the plot of this show in car rides, but I'm pretty sure you, you ignored yep. it. Yep, 100%. So, with what you've learned now, and what you're speculating, what do you think is going on? What do I think is going on? Like, in, in grand terms? Yeah, like, speculate. Okay, uh, I think Yagdrasil Corporation is trying to collect, let's say, energy. It's always energy. They're trying to find some new like unlimited energy source from this alternate dimension, which they think might be related to the fruit or the lock seeds. And so they're tapping into it and they've, they're causing like a, they're causing monsters to come into the world. Okay. Uh, that is a theory. And uh, you said some other things. You think that Hase is not going to be particularly important. Uh, Dark Lord. Yeah. Uh, it's not that I don't think he's going to be important. I think he's going to be the first to die. Fair enough. Well, except except for the friend who died in the first episode, who they don't realize is dead yet. Oh yeah, let's talk more about that because he said something in the last episode, kind of vaguely. And let's. I think it's pretty clear that people turn into monsters when they eat the fruit now, and I suspect that's what happens to the friend. Hmm. Yuya. Yeah. I suspect Yuya ate some fruit, turned into a monster, and the maybe probably even like the monster from the first episode that the main character had to fight. So what I'm saying is I think he killed his best friend and he's going to realize it in a tragic fashion in a few episodes. Well, that that would be a very tragic twist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one final thing. So as of right now, the character that you associate most with is Michi, right? Yes, yes. Let's go with Michi. Well, that's Kamen Rider Gaim and we'll come back in about a month. Next episode, we are continuing as I think we're just going to until it's done. Uh, one episode of Kamen Rider Zero One where they are getting more into the corporate politics, and two episodes of Pirates and Tango Kaiger, where they get the last ultimate power that is unclaimed 